0: friends, it's lovely to see you all here this morning. Psalm 105 says this as it begins, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts. So let's do that as we stand and sing, oh bless the Lord my soul. give us power to grasp how wide and long and deep is the love of Christ that we may be filled to the measure of all his fullness in his name we pray amen Amen. please take your seats Uh, a warm welcome to you all this morning to those who are in the building here and to those who are joining us online we're really glad to have you with us as well Uh, For our guests, my name is Andrew Graham. I'm one of the ministers here. We love having guests with us. Uh, Welcome to St Matthew's today. Uh, Today we get to week three of our Confronting Christianity series here at St Matthew's. And this will be the first of two really sensitive and significant issues that we're, pastoral issues that we're dealing with this week, both on Sunday and through a series of gatherings during the week. Uh, This morning, Nathan Campbell will be speaking to the topic, Is God Homophobic? Is God Homophobic? Thanks so much to those of you who've been praying for us all and for Nathan as we seek a a compassionate and clear-headed response to to same-sex attraction. Uh, A little later in the service, we're sharing together in in the Lord's Supper. For those of you who are at home, Uh, Make sure that you've got some bread and a cup so that you can join in with us when we get to that. But right now what we're going to do is we're going to say out loud what it is that we believe. This is a really densely packed, very clear articulation of the Christian faith which is widely held. So many people across the world today will either be saying this or as they gather expressing these truths that we're going to recite. So please join me as we say together the Apostles' Creed. and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Trish is now gonna come and lead us in prayer, and that will be followed by the video news. Thanks, Trish.
1: I love the psalms and it's wonderful to open this service with a psalm of praise. And now we're going to open our prayer with a psalm of prayer. So let's bow our heads. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forever. More From Psalm 121. Prayer for our world. Lord God, in this troubled world where there is so much unrest, anxiety and sorrow, may the gospel of Jesus be made known so that your peace may transform the life of people everywhere. In this time of escalating tensions in international relations, we ask that measured words are exchanged between heads of state, and we pray all countries would recognise the value of peaceful coexistence. Father, for our mission partners, we bring before you Heal Africa, located in Goma, in the Democratic Republic of Congo. We pray for protection and safety for the community from violence, that has erupted in recent days, which is close enough for our ministry partners to see and hear. Lord, give them strength to be your steady hands and feet amidst days spent in fear and uncertainty. And may they convey your peace in a place where it is in short supply. Father, keep us close to you this week. Remind us to spend time with you and to rest in your unfailing love and peace. We thank you, God, for your awesome creation and the ability to have a relationship with you through your son, Jesus. Help us each day to do your will, to trust and obey your statutes, and to give thanks for your guidance in our lives and for the places in which you have put us. Amen.
2: Welcome to church today, as always, it is great to be together. Just a few things from me. Firstly, to those who are new or newish, it is great to have you with us. We would love to connect with you after the service. And if I don't get to meet you in person, one of the great ways you can do that is to let us know that you're here. And if you wanted to take the card that is under the seats in front of you and scan the QR code, that would be a great help. Let us know you're here, how we can help, and we'll be in touch. We'd love to connect with you. Secondly, What's coming up this week is some key messages in the Confronting Christianity series. I'm gonna be speaking at a special midweek session on the very important topic of transgenderism. What I'll be doing is giving the same talk on three occasions so that all the small groups can come along to it if they'd like to access it. It's gonna be here on Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and then again on Thursday morning. Eight o'clock for the evening sessions and 9.30 the morning session on Thursday, they're all next door in the Daly Smith building. But as we said last week, in choosing to engage with these topics, we're really not trying to be provocative. It's not because we think sex and gender are the most important issues, they're not. It's because right now, in our culture, these are the issues that are confronting us and particularly confronting the Christian faith. In the last five years, the rise of issues around the transgender question have just exploded in our culture. So how do we understand what is happening? What does the Bible have to say on this issue? And very importantly, how do we actually help people who are experiencing this gender dysphoria or incongruence that I'm going to be talking about? It is a very complex topic that I'll be speaking to and my aim is to be very sensitive on it. So please pick a time and come along next week. But lastly, I encourage everyone who calls St. Matthew's Church their spiritual home to be giving financially towards the ministry here. And the best and easiest way to give is by direct deposit and all the details for that are on the website on the Give page. But for those who are here today and you'd like to give in person to church, you can do that by using the F-post machine up the back or the Lord's Treasury box if you've got cash that you'd like to put in and contribute. That's it from me. Thank you and may the Lord bless you.
0: And as we sing at 8 o'clock church, we also have the opportunity, if you'd like to use the offertory basket, uh, offertory bag as it comes past, to, to make a contribution in that way. Please stand as we sing. <laughs>
3: Today's Bible reading is from Luke chapter 18, verses 18 to 30, and chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. These can be found on page 1051 in your Bibles. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? "'Why do you call me good?' Jesus answered. "'No one is good except God alone. "'You know the commandments. "'You shall not commit adultery. "'You shall not murder. "'You shall not steal. "'You shall not give false testimony. "'Honor your father and mother.' "'All these I have kept since I was a boy,' he said. "'When Jesus heard this, he said to him, "'You still lack one thing. "'Sell everything you have,' and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have all left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. The second reading is over the page. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay him back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. John,
4: good morning everyone. Let's pray as we get started. Father, may these words in my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. As Bruce mentioned uh, a few weeks ago, I often get into some pretty interesting conversations at my gym that I go to. At the end of uh, a session one day, I was probably looking a little bit like this, uh, I, I got into an interesting conversation with a couple of my gym buddies. For the past few months, the three of us had been working out at the same times, we'd often strike up conversation mid-workout, just kind of small talk stuff, but they both knew I was a minister here at St. Matt's, and uh, one of them was absolutely fascinated by that, she just asked me all sorts of questions every time it came up. But then on this particular day, it was different. At the end of the session, the three of us were slumped over, trying to catch our breath, and uh, we got onto the topic of the coming weekend. And I said that I was taking a wedding. There was barely a pause before one of them jumped in and said, well, Kate and I are gay, so would you marry us? Now, you could tell from her tone, she wasn't actually asking me to take their wedding. She wanted to know if her gym buddy was homophobic. What would you have said? If you want to know how I replied, you're going to have to tune in a little longer. But I promise I will come back and tell you how that conversation ended. But I start with that story today because the title for today's talk is the question, Is God Homophobic? And this is the third in our series Confronting Christianity as we ask confronting questions of the Christian faith and then take a look at some possible answers. And I've got to say, out of the six questions we're looking at, today is up there with the most confronting. I don't think I've had more people tell me that they're praying for me before a sermon than this week. Thank you to those who have been praying. It's been much appreciated. I also don't think I've ever written a sermon and felt the kind of danger that I've felt this week, that's new. I also don't think I've ever quite felt the weight of there being so much that could be said without the time to really say it all. And then add to that, just the, the weight of pastoral concern of trying to consider all the different places that people will be at on a topic like this. People who are deeply worried about the direction that our world's heading in, Others who want to hold to God's word and yet feel conflicted when it comes to this. And then there's many, or perhaps even most of us, who who will know and love people who identify as part of the LGBTQI community, whether they're friends or family or co-workers, people that we dearly love, and that adds an extra dimension. And I'm also expecting that there will be people here across today for whom this is a very deeply personal area. And, and maybe you've never stepped foot into church before, until now. Can I just say that I love that you have. I love that you have, and I'm so glad that you're here. And I'm also aware that maybe there may be people here across today who are grappling with this area of their own sexuality, Maybe you've been on that road all on your own. No one knows. If, if that is you, I love that you're here as well. Now, the last thing to say before we crack in is you may have been a little surprised with the choice of readings for today. It's, it's not the kind of well-worn passages of a topic like this, kind of Genesis 2, Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6. And I will briefly engage with some of that a little later on. But as a church, we've actually, we've spoken at length on these passages when we've covered topics like sexuality and marriage and singleness. And they're up on our podcast. You can listen to them or track them down on YouTube and watch them um, in order to, to just go over those things. But for today, I wanted us to take a step further, not just look at what the Bible says, as important as that is, but to also think about what we might say how we might respond if someone asked us, is your God homophobic? Now, before we think about a way forward, I want to begin by unpacking a little just what makes this so hard. There are plenty of reasons, but here are just three. Firstly, on this, we have lacked love. And by we, I'm I'm talking about society in general, But the church also, in particular. Homophobia and bigotry are a real and terrible thing. And in the past, and unfortunately still today, here and around the world, the LGBTQI community has been subject to appalling treatment. Physical violence, verbal abuse, mistreatment and discrimination. And unfortunately, at times, Christians and the church have been a party to that. Shame on us. And if you're here today and you bear the scars of that kind of treatment, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry for when Christians have treated this as just an argument to be won or a point to be made, rather than seeing and respecting you for the person that you are, And I'm sorry for the way that the church has often come across as bewildered or angry or defensive when it's tried to engage with this rather than the the grace and compassion and understanding that God calls on all of us to act with. Friends, we need to do better because too often in the past we haven't. This is part of what makes this conversation hard. We've lacked love. And it's partly because of that we have also lost the perceptions game, here in the West at least. On the issue of same-sex relationships, the, the public debate is over. The historic position on marriage and sexuality that's been held by all sections of the mainline Christian church for the last 1900 years, that's no longer tolerated here. Today, that view is not just seen as outdated or old-fashioned, it's actually outright harmful and dangerous, isn't it? Just as we saw play out with the Manly Eagles last week, there's really now only two options. There's pride or there's bigotry. Take your pick. Friends, we've lost the perceptions game. And we lost it in record time the level of societal change that's taken place on this in just the last 40 years is nothing short of... It's astounding. And those who've studied this phenomenon consider it to be amongst the most rapid cultural shifts in human history. I mean, that's just worth acknowledging. And it's also worth saying that it hasn't just happened by accident. It's actually the result of, of, of very intentional, very shrewd activism and campaigning over many years. Let me, by way of an example, just point to one book that demonstrates this. My slides are, there we go. It's a book called After the Ball, How America Will Conquer Its Fear and Hatred of Gays in the 90s. It was written back in 1989 by a man named Howard uh, Howard Kirk, who was a neuropsychologist, and Hunter Madsen, who was an advertising executive. Both of them were advocates for the gay rights movement. And it is like a literal playbook for everything that has unfolded in this area over the last 30 years. Today, it's out of print and it'll cost you over $800 for a second-hand paperback on Amazon. You can see up there it's two grand, which is just exorbitant. Good luck getting your hands on it. But it lays out, step by step, a path to achieving the kind of celebration and acceptance that the LGBTQI community enjoys today. See, according to Kirk and Madsen, this involves three key things. Desensitising society to gay relationships jamming up all opposition and converting opinion. Those are the three key areas. At one point they write this, talk about gayness until the issue becomes entirely tiresome. Seek desensitization and nothing more. If you can get straight to think homosexuality is just another thing, meriting no more than just a shrug of the shoulders, then your battle for legal and social rights is basically won. They wrote that back in 1989. I'm not having a go at the gay rights movement. All I'm saying is that where we find ourselves now is the result of a very intentional, well-planned, and well-resourced movement. One of the most effective movements of its kind in history. And the result? Society's moved massively we've lost the perceptions game and that's also what makes this hard the third reason is because we've got a 10,000 foot answer and what I mean by that is that the biblical answers around the place and purpose of sex as in who should or shouldn't be having it that sits at 10,000 feet above sea level it's like the peak of a massive mountain There is a lot of terrain to cover in order to get there. The historic Christian view about sexuality, that that it's only for a man and a woman joined together in marriage, that sounds bizarre in our culture today. It sounds insane. And partly it's because of this. See, it takes a whole lot of steps in order to get to that summit base camp you can see up there is that God exists. That's base camp. If someone's not with you at base camp, then good luck getting them any higher up the mountain. And it's not just that God exists, but it's that he created this place. And he didn't just create this place, he designed it with purpose and with order. A design that we now don't follow because humanity is fallen. And it makes things messy and broken in all sorts of ways. But nevertheless, Christians are to embrace God's good design for marriage and for sex within that. You see how high you've got to climb in order to make sense of what the Bible says about sexuality? If at any point on that journey up, someone's not willing to go further then where we end up landing on this stuff is not going to make that much sense. I'm not saying we can't have that conversation, but this is part of what makes it hard. This is why this conversation is not going to work when you're sitting on a gym floor, out of breath. It's not going to work in a message chat or through a megaphone sitting out on the corso. There is no snappy 120-character answer on this that the world is going to be able to make sense of. It'd be nice if there was, but there isn't. And guess what? The world's answer to this is much shorter. It feels good, it's not hurting anyone, and it's love. So you just hate people that are different. Friends, that's less than 100 characters long. They've got a tweet, we've got a 10,000 foot trek. And yet as hard as that makes it for us, I actually think it's a good thing. I actually think it's a good thing and I'm gonna come back to why that is at the end. But that's what makes this hard, right? We've lacked love, we've lost the perceptions game and we're working with an answer at 10,000 feet. What then is the way forward? We're going to spend the rest of our time thinking about how to answer the question, is God homophobic? Here are some thoughts. Firstly, there is so much more to this than just an answer to be given. As I said at the start, this isn't just an issue to be debated or an idea to be argued. We're talking about people here. This is real life stuff. This isn't abstract, it's concrete Words are powerful. What we say and how we say it, it really matters. Even more so because we're talking about people. So gentleness and compassion and respect, that needs to season all of our conversation in this area. Secondly, there is so much more that's been written and said by people far more qualified than me People like Sam Aubrey, Rachel Gilson, Wesley Hill, Rosaria Butterfield, all four of those people have actually had to grapple with same-sex attraction themselves and they all offer very powerful testimonies. Rosaria Butterfield, for instance, was a tenured professor at Syracuse University. She had a PhD in queer theory and she was in a same-sex relationship herself. She's written a bunch of great books, but in her first book, you can see it up there, it's called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. She tells the story of coming to faith and how she lost everything but the dog. It's powerful. It's a very powerful story. Then, of course, there's Rebecca McLaughlin's Confronting Christianity, which I'm sure a lot of you might have read or be flicking through or at least have a copy of. We've titled this series after that book. And in the chapter where she addresses the question we're thinking about today, she shares her own journey in grappling with same-sex attraction. There is lots to choose from. There is plenty to read. Can I encourage you to do that if you haven't before? Bruce's weekly email actually had a link with all of these references and a whole bunch more. If you didn't get that for whatever reason, you can let us know on the connection card. We'll make sure we can get that to you this week. Thirdly, when it comes to God's design, there is so much more to marriage and sex than our culture leads us to believe. That's the truth. And Christianity has this reputation for being restrictive and limiting, but I actually think the opposite is the case, especially with marriage and sex. Like, we're, we're now at a place in our culture where sex is just for pleasure. And marriage is just an expression of love. And the Bible actually says a big yes to both those two things. And it also says there is so much more. As I said earlier, this is well-trodden ground for us as a church, so we're not going to spend too long on it, but marriage plays a central role in the whole story of the Bible. Like, it is no accident that In the very second chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, it has as its climax the wedding of the first man and woman. And then 900 odd chapters later, in the very second last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 21, the climax of all things is described as a wedding between Christ and his church. See, marriage is there from beginning to end, It both sets creation on its course, enabling humanity to fill the earth and subdue it, and yet it also stands as a primary symbol and signpost for what it is we're all waiting for. Eternal union with God as the bride of Christ. See, it is so much more than simply an expression of love. Marriage is an architectural doctrine for the Christian life. Marriage between a man and a woman is actually part of the structural fabric of creation. So, any other kind of marriage that we might want to come up with and experiment with and give a go to, it actually sits outside of God's design. Likewise with sex, God's designed it to be so much more than just recreational pleasure, it is the binding agent for a marriage. And as a couple becomes one flesh in body, they also unite emotionally and relationally and even spiritually and sacrificially. Similar to a marriage, sex points beyond itself to the union that we share with Christ. It is powerful, it is profound, and God designed it to be protected within a marriage, which is why marriage is the only place that it belongs. Any other sexual expression sits outside of God's design, which is what the Bible calls sin. That includes things like lust and pornography, premarital sex and adultery. It's all outside of God's design for sex. Now, remember these answers sit at 10,000 feet. They rest on a lot of other important doctrines. So if you're not on board with them, I don't expect you to be on board with this. But at the very least, I hope you can sense that the historic Christian position on these things is not just arbitrary or archaic, it's because we hold that God's vision for marriage and sex is far grander, more profound than just pleasure and love. A couple of pastoral questions might arise at this point. First one, are you saying same-sex couples can't love each other as much? No, of course they can, and they do. I know of examples where these relationships actually are more faithful and committed to each other than some heterosexual marriages. This is not a question of faithfulness. It's a question of function and purpose. Secondly, are you really saying that someone who is same-sex attracted and wanting to live according to God's design that they're now destined to go through life never having sex nor having a life partner. How is that not cruel and unusual punishment for desires they don't even have control over? You can feel the weight of that question, can't you? Firstly, as hard as it might be, that's actually what God asks of everyone who isn't married whether you're same-sex attracted or not. And secondly, discipleship in the Christian life is hard, really hard. It's costly. And not just for those who are same-sex attracted, it's costly for everyone. You see, you can't turn to Christ without turning away from something else. And you can see how hard it is to do from the first of our two readings that we had this morning in Luke 18. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus because he wants to know how to receive eternal life. He tells him that he's lived an obedient life. He's followed all the rules. Verse 22, Jesus says to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Basically, Jesus is saying... Treasure me. Treasure me instead of your treasure. Put my kingdom before the one that you've gone and built for yourself. Let me be your comfort and your security instead of your wealth. See, you can't turn to Christ without turning away from something else and this rich young ruler decides that cost is too high. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me, Jesus says. Friends, self-denial is central to the Christian life. For everyone, all kinds of behaviors and desires, all kinds of hopes and dreams and ambitions, if they're a part of our old lives, the old self, then we actually have to leave them behind. Friends, discipleship with Jesus is costly for everyone. That doesn't mean that the cost will look the same or even that it will feel equally as costly at every moment in our lives. But I really like how Sam Albury puts it. He says this, Ever since I have been open about my own experiences of homosexuality, a number of Christians have said something like this, well, the gospel must be harder for you than it is for me, as though I have more to give up than they do. But the fact is that the gospel demands everything of all of us. If someone thinks the gospel has slotted into their life quite easily without causing any major adjustments to their lifestyle or aspirations, it is likely that they've not really started following Jesus at all. Is that not a challenge for all of us? And can I just say, if you are same-sex attracted and grappling with what that looks like as a disciple of Jesus, you don't have to do that alone. This is a community that's prepared to walk alongside you. So please reach out. Fourthly, there is so much more to you than your sexuality. And that goes for all of us. We are more than our sexual orientation. God's interested in more of you than that. And I am sorry if the church has made it seem like this is the, the only thing that matters. You know, as if you're somehow deficient or incomplete if you're not married or you're not having sex. Because that's not true. But it is true that our culture peddles that message, Right? It tells us you are who you sleep with. Sexuality is at the core of who you are, which of course is why there is such a strong push for us to have the freedom to express it, because that's who I am. But friends, that's simply not the case. You are more than your sexuality. God is interested in so much more of you than that He doesn't just see one part of you. He sees all of you, and he knows us completely in all of my beauty and brokenness. He sees everything, and he loves you. That's kind of what I tried to get across that day as we were catching our breath at F45. Kate and I are gay, so would you marry us? I could have said a lot of things, could have quoted from Genesis 2 I could have tried to explain God's design for marriage tried talking to them at 10,000 feet and maybe that would have worked here's what I said instead well I'm I'm not a general celebrant so by law I've got to follow the Anglican rites for marriage and there aren't any rites for a same-sex couple yet so I sidestepped it and then before she could come back I added but regardless of what God thinks about marriage He wants you to know that he loves you. He loves you no matter who you are. He loves you more than you can imagine. They liked that answer, but the conversation didn't go any further. But we stayed gym buddies. Unfortunately, soon after, they moved out of the area, but they gave me a hug before they left. Friends, today's... Today the historic view of sex and marriage is attacked as harmful and dangerous and it's right that we defend it because it's not. And yet we do our world a great disservice when this becomes the only thing we're known for. We've got so much more to share, don't we? We need to make sure they hear us on that too. I really love the simple reminder Uh, McLaughlin gives us in her chapter on this, she says, Heterosexuality is not the goal of the Christian life. Jesus is. Friends, Jesus is. Let's not forget that. And speaking of Jesus, we're going to finish just by thinking about his controversial company from our second reading in Luke 19 gives us the account of the time when Jesus invited himself over for dinner and ended up changing a man's life. But see, Zacchaeus wasn't just any man. He's described here as a chief tax collector, which tells us that this guy loved money more than anything else. I mean, you would have to in order to be a tax collector. Money was like the only perk of that job. You see, tax collectors were despised and hated By just about everyone, they were kind of written off to the outskirts of society as traitors and thieves. So Zacchaeus must have figured it was worth the money. And what I love about this story is is that Jesus invites himself over for dinner to the house of his enemy. See, Jesus had very strong convictions about those who were greedy and dishonest, those who loved money. Just as he did about, he had convictions about sex outside of marriage as well. Jesus taught with conviction on these things, and yet it didn't stop him acting with compassion. When we see, when he sees Zacchaeus hanging out of the tree there, he doesn't just ignore him and walk past. He doesn't look up and sneer at him. He doesn't say, Oi, mate, what are you going to do with that money that you've stolen? He simply says, Hey, you up there? What are you cooking for dinner? I'm coming around. Jesus doesn't care that it's going to make him look soft on tax collecting and greed. Instead, he chooses to lean into Zacchaeus and to be present with him. That's the genius of Jesus. He's able to hold his conviction right alongside his compassion. And here, miraculously, one night with Jesus is all it takes such is the power of his presence and welcome. By the end of the evening, Zacchaeus willingly turns away from his deepest desire because on that night, he's found an even better one, Jesus. Friends, our aim in any of this, whatever question we're trying to answer about any topic, our goal should be to introduce people to Jesus. And that's why I think the 10,000-foot answer is actually a blessing in disguise because we can't just shout it out. Our answer actually requires the, the, the patient, authentic relationship where we can build trust and show love and listen well and speak with sensitivity. Our aim is not to win the argument. It's to make the introduction. That's our job. Because the truth is, we're not going to argue someone into the kingdom, are we? Nobody will ever willingly abandon their deepest, most cherished desires unless they encounter him. And by the work of the Spirit, they discover a greater desire. When the rich young ruler walks away, sad, the disciples are disturbed, aren't they? If not him they say who then can be saved? And Jesus reminds them what is impossible with man is possible with God. Friends, don't lose heart at the difficulty of this task, whether that's the cost of discipleship or whether that's the challenge of trying to speak about it to others. We worship a God who operates in the impossible. Our job is to make the introduction. And can I finish with just one example of a church who's trying to do this well? Vine Church in Surrey Hills. Uh, it sits right on the root of the gay and lesbian Mardi Gras each year. Oh, there we go. And rather than battening down the hatches or sticking up a protest sign, they choose to lean in. They open up the church grounds, they offer a quiet space away from the crowds, they give out free pancakes and chai tea. They set up the church as a space to pray. And here is their motto for the night. They say, we're not here to protest or promote. We're here to help where necessary and witness where appropriate. I'm told that they have great gospel conversations with people every year who are, who are always totally surprised that a church would be doing something like this. Friends, if our culture is going to pitch us as the enemies, and they do, we are now the bad guys, then let's live as the strangest, most confounding enemies the world's ever seen. Let's be enemies that love instead of loathe, enemies that lean in instead of leave. Because when we're willing to do that, we'll be introducing our Savior to the world. And so maybe another way you might try answering the question, is God homophobic, is simply to say, why don't you come meet him and find out? We're going to do something a little different as we end together now. Before we sing our third song, I'm going to lead us in a time of responsive prayer. We're going to pray through a few things. And at each point, I'm actually just going to give you some space to pray quietly yourself, to bring people that you know who might need prayer uh, before the Lord. Firstly, I'm going to give us space to actually pray a prayer of repentance for our own failings in this area, whatever that looks like. Then we're going to pray for, for us, for people we know who are part of our community here. And finally, we'll pray for our world in general. Would you do that with me? Let's pray. Lord God, we come in humble confession before you, Lord, for the times when we personally have done or said things that have lacked love. We bring them before you, Lord, and other things that we we feel compelled to repent of now this morning. have mercy on us. We repent Lord in confidence that when we confess our sins you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And now Lord we also bring before you our community here at St. Matt's. Particularly for those in our midst who struggle to make sense of this area of your teaching or perhaps those who are grappling with their own sexuality and the cost of discipleship. Lord, we lift those to you in our community now. Lord, hear our prayers. Finally, We bring before you those here in Manly and beyond. We bring before you our society as a whole, Father, and the friends and the family and those we love for which this is the thing stopping them from considering you. We bring them before you now too. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that you are a God who operates in the impossible. And as difficult and hard a task as this seems to us, Lord, it's not hard for you. We pray, Father, that we might be a community of conviction and and compassion, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, we're going to sing our third hymn now together. It's a great reflection on the divine love God has for us all. Love divine, all loves excelling. Please stand and sing.
0: take your seats. And we're about to share together in the Lord's Supper now. So if you don't have one of our little communion packs, you might like to raise your hand. And Chris has got a whole basket of them up the back there. Uh, So there's someone halfway down the aisle here. And over that way, Michael. And for the rest of you, it might be good to get the little lid off. I'm still getting used to using these little cups, but I was just thinking, it's, it's a little bit like when you have people around for a meal, before you can all start eating, there's sometimes a few practical things that you've got to do, and uh, we're just getting to, used to this particular way of doing it. But it's so helpful that we've got a way of remembering what Jesus did with his disciples as he prepared for them for his coming death. And uh, it's it's this message that we want to embrace ourselves and that we wish so many more people were able to embrace around us and that we've been considering this morning how we might best do that uh, with people who uh, may be struggling uh, with unwanted desires, uh, who may be embracing desires which are clearly not the desires that God um, permits them really uh, to express in ways that are not pleasing to Him. It's been a challenging space, hasn't it, for us to consider, but so helpful uh, in the middle of it to be remembering the great love of God for people everywhere. So let's, um, let's get ourselves ready for sharing in this meal. Uh, firstly, by responding to this invitation, which is largely drawn from the Book of Common Prayer. It says, Brothers and sisters in Christ, We who come to receive the Holy Communion of the Body and Blood of our Saviour Christ can come only because of his great love for us. For although we are completely undeserving of his love, yet in order to raise us from the darkness of death to everlasting life as God's sons and daughters, our Saviour Christ humbled himself to share our life and to die for us on the cross. In remembrance of his death, we share in the bread and the cup. But before we do so, we must examine ourselves and amend our lives. We must come with repentant hearts and steadfast faith. Above all, we must give thanks to God for his love towards us in Christ Jesus. So if you truly turn away from your sins and are reconciled with others, intending to lead a new life of joyful obedience to God, draw near with faith, and take this bread and cup to strengthen and sustain you. But first, let us make a humble confession of our sins to Almighty God. Please join me. Merciful Father, we have strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the schemes and desires of our own hearts and have broken your holy laws. We have left undone what we ought to have done And we have done what we ought not to have done. Yet, good Lord, have mercy on us. Restore those who repent according to the promises declared to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Grant, merciful Father, for his sake, that from now on we may live godly and obedient lives to the glory of your holy name. Amen. In Romans 8, as a word of reassurance, we hear this. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, you've been set free from the law of sin and death. So just before we eat the bread and drink from the cup, listen to what the scriptures say about what happened on that night of the betrayal of Jesus. It says, On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and then he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, after the meal, Jesus took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it, In remembrance of me so brothers brothers and sisters let's take that little bit of bread and as we eat this let's remember the body of Christ which was given for us and feed on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving Let's take our own cup and let's drink from this, remembering the blood of Christ that was shed for us and be thankful. This gift of God, of the death of Christ for us, is extraordinarily generous so please join me in saying this prayer of thanksgiving and of dedication i'll lead us in this prayer it looks like we're having some trouble finding finding that let me lead us lord and heavenly father in your loving kindness accept our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving grant that by the merits and death of your son jesus christ and through faith in his blood we and your whole church may receive and all other benefits of his passion with gratitude for all your mercies we offer ourselves to you as a living sacrifice through Jesus Christ our Lord. Send us out in the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen. Amen. Our friends, we're all all but done uh, for today. Um, Morning tea beckons across the other side of the courtyard in the function room. So please, if you're a guest, come and join us. We'd love to have the chance to speak with you there. I'll also let you know that in next week's service, as we are begun a practice every month or so we want to pray for people who have been a part of St Matthews but are no longer able to come uh, maybe that mobility means they can't get here from home or that they're in full-time care so we will certainly be praying for those folks who are every bit a, 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 a part of our fellowship as as if they were present uh, but if there is someone else you'd like us to pray for maybe yourself or or someone else with their permission Uh, We'd love to pray for them as well. So please let me know in uh, the week following uh, so that we can be praying for them as well. Right now I'm going to ask you to stand as we close our service. And uh, let's say the words of this benediction to one another. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. May the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among us and remain with us always. Amen. Amen.